I'd like to begin by asking a question this morning. That is, why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come? There's a lot of answers that the world gives. There's a lot of answers that you might have heard before. But as we think about that, perhaps it is that you would answer, did he come to rescue people from their sin? Yes, he did. Did he come to communicate and demonstrate that he is God in the flesh? Yes. Did he come to help us see how different God's kingdom is from our kingdoms? Yes. Did he come to serve the very people he made? Yes. Did he come so that we could better understand the heart of God the Father? Also yes. He came for all these reasons and many more. But did you know that another reason he came that is not talked about as much is to bring joy to the world? That's another reason why he came, to bring joy to the world. We sing it every year. We'll sing it today. I'm sure you've already sung it and heard it many times leading up to this day. We'll close our service with it this afternoon. That Jesus' birth, amongst many other things, his birth is for our joy. It is for our joy. Jesus came to bring joy, not temporary joy, not fleeting joy, not passing joy, not momentary joy. Not the type of joy we'll feel tomorrow morning when you open up a gift only to find out it's a new pair of socks. And you had hope until you opened it. How many of you are expecting to get some socks tomorrow from your spouse or from a family member? Yep, yep. So just those people that raise their hand, turn to them and just say, I'm sorry, and give them a high five. Just do it right now. Just a high five. Socks are good. It's cool. It's all right. It's a good gift. It's fleeting joy. It's that sense, that momentary joy that I have every Christmas when we have our leadership Christmas party over at our house from Romeo. So our deacons, deaconesses, elders, staff, they all come over. And we always have a white elephant gift exchange. And every year, there's always a few gifts that are phenomenal. And every year when they're all placed on the table, you think and I think I'm going to be one of the ones who opens that good gift. And yet, I'm severely disappointed almost every time. So I brought a few of them with me today. This is the last service, and so these props are no longer illustrations after now. So I'm giving you a little hint right now. If one of them peeks your eye, it's yours. I mean, it's yours. Take it. Take it. I will be so grateful if you take it. So one of those, uh, Dave and Jackie Collins, some of our leaders here, they usually help out in our cafe ministry. A couple years ago, they got us this amazing vase. Maybe you really think it's lovely. I don't. Um, <laughs> I liked it so much and thought it was so wonderful, in fact, that Katie and I wrapped it up, gave it to their daughter so that they could open it the very next Christmas, which was last Christmas. This summer, we got a potting plant from the Collins. They typically will give us a potting plant when the spring comes, and so we got a potting plant from them, and just like every other plant in my house, it dies very quickly, and so once it eventually died, we then unwrapped what we thought was the pot only to find the vase again, <laughs> now returned to our home, and so this, this is one of our treasures few others that we've gotten. This one came from George and Elaine Fisher, a, uh, uh, an elder and a deaconess. Uh, been here a long time. So they got this straight out of their great, great, great grandmother's attic, I assume. 
So Mr. and Mrs. Rabbit, uh, they make their way around our house. Sometimes our daughter will use them uh, with her Barbies and other such things. But again, they're, 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 I'm sure they're lovely. They'd look great in your garden or whatever. So maybe those are gifts that you'd be interested in. Tracy Murphy, our kids director, had this angel that lights up um, in her house for 13 years, apparently. I heard this. And I think her husband, Dan, eventually got so sick of it that they wrapped it up this year. Our student pastor, CT, got it in the White Elephant Gift Exchange, and he liked it so much that he put it in my office. It was illuminated and glowing this morning when I walked in. (laughs) And we find a trail of all kinds of other gifts as well in our house, and they just leave them. They don't take them after the party. They just leave them in various places. So we've got a whole stash. Uh, Leah, uh, our, our oldest daughter, a few years ago, our kids, we don't tell them like an order in terms of opening their gifts, and so they can open in whatever order they'd like. And so they typically will look at the gift they think will be the best gift, and they'll save that one for the end, right? And so she opened up a gift that she thought would be the best gift, the last gift, the final gift of her Christmas season a few years back, only to find that joy, that initial joy, uh, was truly fleeting because she found multiplication cards in that (laughs) gift, which I thought was a great gift. I mean, maybe if you get those down, sweetie, then we won't have to talk about it anymore. See, the joy that Jesus brings, the joy that he brings is substantively different. It's intrinsically different. It's a different kind altogether. He brings lasting and eternal joy that never fades. It never fades. It's not quick. It's not momentary. It's not passing. It is eternal and glorious and for not just our life but forever. This Christmas season, we've been talking about some of the deepest longings of the human heart, hope, peace, and today, joy. One of my concerns is that as we talk about the joy that only Jesus' birth can bring, most people experience that joy around the Christmas season as nothing more than surface sentimentalism, just surface sentimentalism. The lights, they're fun. The traditions, they're fun. The the presents, the songs, the cast of characters, the TV specials, the school break, the food, the new year coming around the corner. It's all sentimental, nostalgic, surface level, momentary joy, but with absolutely zero power to actually transform a life. So as we listen to the Christmas story this morning, Instead of hearing it with a veneer of sentimentality, hear it for what it is, the very words of God, the revelation of God for us. Hear it as the earth-shattering event that changed the course of history. Hear it as the singular event that changed your life through faith. And if it hasn't, then hear it as the only gift you will ever receive that will fill your soul with something other than fleeting joy. If you hear it sentimentally, you'll walk out of here with the same old perspective on life, the same old priorities, the same old problems. If you hear it as truth, as revelation from God, you walk out of here with a new perspective on life. 
new priorities, a new type of joy that will, not, that will not fade or change with every up and down season that you go through. So let me read the very familiar verses, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20, and hear them this morning. Here's what God says. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. This is the word of the Lord. One of the ironies is that the author, Luke, he's bringing out this irony that the greatest announcement and arrival the world would ever know came almost completely unnoticed. Almost completely unnoticed. And it was an incredible contrast with the king of the world at the time, the king that he announces here in the text as Caesar Augustus. Now, Luke tells us that Caesar Augustus, his name was really Octavian. Octavian was the ruler of the entire Roman world. Some translations, your translation might even say the ruler of the inhabited earth. Now, Caesar Augustus was the great nephew of the famous Julius Caesar, and the Roman Senate voted, he actually asked them to vote to name him Caesar for the first time, Augustus. Now, why is that significant? Do you know what Augustus means? Well, Augustus, it means the holy one, the revered one. He asked his own senate to give him this name, prescribing who he believed himself to be, the holy one, the revered one. And so at the time, people would only use the word Augustus to talk about the gods. 
And around the same time that Luke was writing these words, some of the cities in the empire adopted Octavian's birthday, September 23rd, as the first day of the new year, and they hailed him as their savior, their savior. People said that Caesar Augustus had brought peace. There's one inscription, in fact, in Turkey today, a place called Halicarnassus, that is called or has an inscription that reads, Caesar Augustus, Savior of the whole world. You can see it with your own eyes. He was said to have brought joy. But the joy and the peace that he brought, it was a dark peace, a dark joy, a Hitler's peace, an oppressive and violent forced joy. So while the people worshipped Octavian as a god, as the holy ruler of the world, as the savior who brought peace and joy, Luke tells us about the birth of Jesus. You can see the contrast. God in flesh, the actual ruler of not just the world, but the universe. And the one, the one true savior whose life brings eternal peace and joy. Now only a few people got the message. The announcement didn't break the internet. It didn't go viral overnight. It was given to a few shepherds. And shepherds are not like we think of them today, the cute little nativity guys that we put around the barn. Their reputation, their stereotype was that they were dishonest, dirty, poor, uneducated, spiritually unclean, and the lowest of lows. They were lowlifes. In fact, they could do so little, they were productive for so little, put them in charge of the sheep not to enter the temple, not to enter the city. See, God's ways are not like ours. They are not like Octavian's. He announced his coming to the lowest, not the highest. It was a picture of Jesus' ministry. It was never about attention. It was never about pomp. It was never about a billboard. The shepherds and this whole scene, it's an illustration of who Jesus himself was, being the creator of all things, sovereign over all things, co-eternal with the Father from eternity past, yet coming down, stooping down, all the way down to us. And when the night sky gave way to the light of more angelic beings than could ever be counted. The shepherds in that moment did what we would do, the exact same response that we would have. They were filled with fear. See, every time the natural comes in contact with the supernatural, there's always fear. Whenever heaven breaks through, whenever God breaks through, whenever we recognize as human beings that we are in the presence of something far beyond ourselves, we're always filled with fear. And yet the message that they heard was not meant to bring fear. It was good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And the message is so rich, we just have to take a quick minute to unpack it a little. Listen to the words of the angel. For unto you, unto you, the Savior is for you. It's not just for kings or scholars or rich, prestigious people. It's for you, all of you, and for me. For unto you is born. The translation is born. It works, but the sense is that this has already happened. It, it would be better translated, unto you was born, or unto you has been born. The point is, he's here. It's happened Unto you is born this day. Today, it's not old news. This just happened in the city of David. 
And this, this is significant because it fulfilled this city, the birth of Christ being in this place. It fulfilled a 700-year-old promise that was given to the prophet Micah. So Jesus was the fulfillment of God's promise to all people. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, not Caesar Augustus, not Octavian. No, the, the truly divine Savior, the word means deliverer, the hero who would come and rescue his people from their peril, and this Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is the only verse in the entire New Testament where these three titles all appear in one sentence. He is the Savior. He is the Christ. He is the Lord. All mentioned upon his arrival. He's not just a deliverer. He's not just the Messiah. He's also the Lord. The Father God was described as the Lord in Luke chapter 1. Now Luke is also giving that same title to Jesus. And the point is that the Christian faith is not that Jesus is simply Savior and Christ. People tend to like that part of him. Save me from my sins. Rescue me from my sins. He is my rescuer, my redeemer, the Messiah. But more than that, he is also the Lord as God the Father is Lord. And so as the Lord, we see Jesus do the exact same things that God the Father did in the Old Testament. With his authority, he forgives sins. He heals illnesses. He calms storms. He raises the dead. So right here in the Christmas story that we've read a million times... We are confronted with some incredible claims, claims that if received through faith will change you forever. Now, how would the shepherds know that all these claims were to be true? How would they know? They'd find a baby lying in an ornate golden diamond studded crib that could convert easily into a toddler bed. Nope. They'd know it was true when they found a baby in a lovely, handcrafted, Amish-built wooden bed made out of the best cedar and oak in the area. We like the wooden manger, but nope. They would know because when would you ever find a baby placed into a cold, stone, disgusting animal's feeding trough that had just been cleansed? Of its water and food. What announcement, what baby has ever come that way? There's a lot of babies who have come a lot of different ways in a lot of different places, but a stone feeding trough for animals, still with the residue of their spit and slobber. Jesus came in the most lowly fashion. And so they said, you'll find the baby when you find him in this setting. Now, if you've read the story and paid attention to the details, as if one angel wasn't enough here, then the next thing these shepherds see is they hear the thunderous noise of an army of angels praising God. It, it was a shout. It was loud. And when the heavens broke open, this chorus of praise, it was joy bursting forth, coming into the world. It was the sound of heavenly joy. Now, what do the shepherds do with such news? They go to Bethlehem to see the sign, to see the baby, and to share the news. What does Mary do with such news? She ponders. She remembers her dreams, her conversation with the angel Gabriel. She remembers uh, these moments and these promises. 
So everyone's response, Mary, the shepherds, it was all joy. They just expressed it differently. Some of, it, some of them expressed it with jumping and shouting and telling others. Some of it was expressed with reflection and appreciation. So back to the first question, why did Jesus come? For many reasons, but did you know that his birth was to bring you joy? I want to leave you this morning with three thoughts for your life from the Christmas story that we've walked through here. First, Jesus' birth is for our joy because we live in fear. Because we live in fear. Every day we struggle with fear. We live in fear of what could happen, what has happened in life, what could happen or what might happen in death. And I believe the source of all of our fear is really at its deepest level the fear of God himself. Not the good, honoring, respectful fear of God, but the dreadful kind. The kind that innately tells us within our spirit that I'm in trouble And I'm in trouble because I know I'm unworthy. I am guilty before a righteous and holy God. So people, because of that fear, they respond by ignoring God altogether, hoping that will take away their fear. They respond by running from God, by denying he even exists, or or keeping their distance from God. Maybe they'll say they'll be part of religious activities, they'll be involved in a church, they'll do some things, they might even give some, or be involved some, or serve some, but they always keep their distance, never really allowing God to be their Lord, to have authority because of fear. And yet, did you notice that the shepherds moved They started the story in great fear, and they finished the story with great joy. They moved from fear to joy. What changed? What changed? Well, they saw and they believed in the Savior, who was Christ the Lord. That's what changed. That's what changed their whole posture. Their whole perspective on life changed with that reality. When they believed in the Savior, who was Christ the Lord, we see him through the scriptures, and we have the opportunity to believe in him just as they did. So I must ask you this morning, do you live in fear of God or filled with the joy of God? You only have one of those two options. You can either live in fear of him Because of that broken relationship or because you know that relationship has been restored, you can live with his joy, with his joy that he brought us even in the gift of his son. Fear is only removed when you see Jesus for who he really is. When you receive him in faith, the source of your greatest fear, being confronted by your creator, becomes the source of your greatest joy, recognizing that you'll be loved and accepted. Second, Jesus' birth is for our joy because Jesus comes as our Savior King. Most people in life live purpose, uh, purposeless lives. They just don't know the meaning of life. They, they, they don't understand really why they're here. There's no meaning, so they're always looking for signs, some kind of supernatural, superstitious sign to bring them purpose. Because I think deep down we all kind of realize that the message we've been given from our culture isn't really good enough or reality. And the message is pretty simple. Your purpose in life is to go through life, enjoy life, so maybe you'll be able to retire early. And as John Piper so famously said a a couple decades ago, so you could retire early, get a place in Florida, and spend the rest of your years collecting shells, seashells, in your house, 
in Florida, and that's the grand purpose and significance to life. As Piper says, that is a tragedy of the greatest kind. And so people are looking for purpose everywhere. Well, I'm not really sure, and I know that money and materialism and individualism isn't going to bring it. So, so God, can you just give me a sign? I just want a sign. Can, you, can I just look at my Cheerios this morning and see something spelled out, like right there? Can, can I just look into the clouds and, and see a, a face or a, a message or, or something? We want something kind of superstitious, a little bit creeper, but also kind of cool. So we could say, like, here's how God spoke to me. It's really awesome. Let me share it with you. But let me ask you the question. As so many people are looking for all these supernatural, mysterious, mystical signs, what was the sign here? The greatest sign ever given to all of mankind, to all of humanity. We have a couple options. Was it the angels? Well, the angels themselves, the angel himself said, I'm not the sign. What's the greater sign here? What's the more powerful sign? Angels showing up in the night sky, telling you a message, surrounded by stars, hearing a concert in heaven break out right in front of your face. It's a pretty impressive sign. And yet the angel says, that's not really the sign. The sign is not us. The sign is this baby, a normal baby, born in a barn. That's the sign that he is, in fact, the son of God. That while all of humanity always tries to be like Caesar Augustus, getting glory and acclaim for themselves, here's the sign that the son of God, the eternal one, actually is here, and this is where you'll find him. That's the sign. And it's the greatest sign that we've ever been given. We look for signs because we want our circumstances to change. God, I just want you to get me out of this, change this. I don't want this anymore. But God sent his son because he wants our hearts to change, not our circumstances. Your heart will not change until you admit that you desperately need Jesus and receive him as your savior. Your heart will not change until you give authority in your life over every decision to Jesus as Lord. And your heart will not feel lasting joy, permanent joy, until you give your life to the Savior King in faith. Finally, Jesus' birth is for our joy because sharing Jesus multiplies joy. As soon as the shepherds find Jesus, their fear melts away, their faith is ignited, and what do they do next? They share Jesus. People always share what brings them joy, because when, because when we share what brings us joy with other people, what does that do? It brings us more joy. So when we share something that brings us joy with other people, it brings us more joy. We see this all the time. How many of your kids in the room or grandchildren asked for a puppy this year? Anybody? My kids did. It was the top on their list, all three of our children. They are all very disappointed because we did not get the puppy. And uh, yeah, see, we're bad parents. See, we're bad parents, Katie. But we did not get the puppy. They all wanted the puppy. But we know some friends who got the puppy this year. And when they got the puppy, what did they do with the news of the puppy? They shared the news. Why did they share the news? Because it made them happier. Why do people, when they get engaged and you finally propose to that girlfriend of yours and she accepts and she receives it and she takes the ring and now you just keep that all bottled up? No, you share the news. Why do you share the news? Because when you share the news, it multiplies your joy. When people have babies, why do they share the news? 
Not because they want to keep it silent, they share the news because it multiplies our joy. See, here's the thing. If you have, if you really have, if you in reality literally have the joy of Christ in you through faith, you will share it. You will share it like the shepherds because the sharing brings you more joy. You won't even be able to contain it. How many of you know that the joy of Christ in you is uncontainable? Let me try that again. It's our last service. Okay, so I'll give you one more shot. How many of you know that Jesus Christ and what he has birthed in you through faith and all the blessings that he has brought about you, and even though you're going through whatever you're going through in life, every season, every financial difficulty, every relational issue, even though all that's going on around us, even if the world give way because we know Jesus is in us, that joy springs up and it's uncontainable. Anybody? Somebody shout, somebody respond. That's what it's meant to do. It's meant to multiply joy. If we have no joy and we have Christ, then we've missed Christ. If you go through your year and all you think about is, man, my marriage was a mess. Man, my finances are a mess. Yes, that may all be true. But if you have Jesus, this gift that came, this life that came, this hope that came, this peace that came, then deep down you will always be filled with a permanent joy. And you will walk out and say, I have to share it. I've got to share it. I can't contain it. It's uncontainable. It's unspeakable joy. Jesus' birth is for your joy. His birth is joy for the world. His birth is joy to the world. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for this time. Thank you for this morning. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ, the hope of our salvation, the Son of God, the Savior, the Christ, the Lord. Father, many throughout history have wanted to claim those titles. Even in the day of Jesus' birth himself, a ruler sat on a throne and pronounced himself to be the Savior, the Deliverer the one who would bring peace and joy, and yet he brought it with violence. And ultimately, it all faded away. And ultimately, he died and is still buried today. And yet there was another who also came around that time, and he truly was the Savior, the Christ, the Lord. And Jesus has been so from eternity past, and he is even now, and he always will be. And so, Father, I pray that if there be any here in the room this morning, if, if anyone just showed up today and they are living right now in fear of you instead of filled with your joy, Father, I pray that they would know that that fear can melt away as quickly as it did for the shepherds. Simply if they give their life in faith to Jesus, believing him to be your son, believing through faith even as they pray in their mind, even as they pray through their heart, you'll hear them, Father, believing that he is the Messiah, he is the king, and submitting their life to him. In an instant, their life will change. So, Father, I pray that you would do your saving work even now, that this would truly be a special Christmas for some here this morning.
Father, I pray for all of us who claim faith in Jesus and say with confidence that he is our Lord and King and he is our Savior and Messiah. I pray that we would understand that he has placed his joy within us, that that joy is, it cannot be stolen, it cannot be taken. The only reason it would be gone from us is if we've given it away. So, Father, help us to remember and recall as we reflect upon the good news of Jesus' birth, the joy that is ours through faith, that sustains us, that uplifts us, that will see us through until we will one day see you face to face. It's unspeakable. It's uncontainable. It's for the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.